0: Hello and welcome back to the One Life Podcast where we talk about things from One Life Church but ultimately things we think can relate to you in your one and only life. My name is Sarah Inman. I'm one of your co-hosts. I'm joined as always by co-host of the podcast and our lead pastor, Brett Nicholson. What's up, Brett?
1: Not a whole lot other than I am, I am excited because we are doing this at the start of, an, of what I'm not even calling a series so much as a new season mm-hmm. in our church for a little while. So it's kind of nice to... I don't know. It feels like a fresh start kind does. of deal that's going on.
0: It feels like the year almost restarted in a sense. So it did. That's
1: right. Because actually, the actual 2021 year didn't start so great. Yeah. <laughs> so
0: and I felt like here in the Midwest, if you're from this area, we just had a bunch of snow, yeah. um, and it felt like. Christmas finally happened or something like I had that feeling a couple of times. I looked down, I'm like, Oh, it's finally winter.
1: Yeah. Um, they go. Yeah. And it's a charitable way to look at it. Well, like Christmas no, Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A lot of people were thinking, man, this is, and it got down to like four degrees and that sort of thing. And yeah, yeah.
0: Um, but we are starting um, a new season. Can you tell us a little bit about what that season and series are?
1: Yeah, the series is called Restore, and it was really just kind of based on the idea of what we talked about in, in Haggai where God says "You know, rebuild the temple because the people had been putting off rebuilding the temple for like 14 years worth of putting it off. And we are the temple now uh, individually and collectively. Those of us are Christ followers. And so we just decided to go into a season based upon the whole run of 2021 that is kind of battered people's souls um, a little bit more than the typical year has done. And so we're just reflecting on that and we're just creating a season. I call it a season because it's really not just about the Sunday services, though. That's important. Uh, We want this to be the conversation. How can you be restored? How can you be rebuilt and uh, you know, do soul care kind of things? How can you just kind of get back to a healthy, vibrant place with the Lord in light of all the things that have gone on over the last year. That's kind of the objective of it. And so we're going to be talking about that between now and Easter is where we're going to hopefully have our big grand finale with that and that kind of thing. So,
0: yeah. And I'm super excited. I think, for me, like just coming in, I came in early this morning because I woke up and I was, just, early. I, I was excited right. to just be here and do some stuff. I have some ideas for things we want to do online um, and focus on even things like the podcast and having some conversations that we think really could just be value add for people. It feels like right. a lot of times, um, unintentionally, I think sometimes in church we feel like we're always asking people to do things,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and that's not the intention. We want right. to create a space for people to feel... Um, like they can grow closer to God and feel whole in that. And so we want to do a whole series on that. So I'm excited about it. Um, but today we have Paul Lingy with us. Paul, thanks for joining us, first off.
2: Hey, my pleasure. Pleasure to be with you.
0: Um, and we always want to start out just kind of getting to know who you are. Um, and so just start us, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and um, I don't know, any other fascinating things.
2: Sure. Uh, <laughs> well, like you said, my name is Paul Lingi. I grew up in uh, the Evansville area, grew up in Evansville, and Uh, I have served uh, as a pastor now at Crossroads Christian Church for the past uh, almost 13 years. Prior to that, my wife, Emily, and I served on the mission field in two different countries, um, in Ukraine, as well as in the small mountainous country just north of Afghanistan. It's called Tajikistan, and so those were the two primary uh, Mm -hmm. homes that we lived, doing um, a variety of different uh, Christian ministry, relief and development, Um, responding to natural disasters, uh, as well as uh, doing some work in local churches in those places.
1: So Paul is one of the few people you'll ever hear from that has lived in Tajikistan. I mean, it's, that's that's not a common thing. So if nothing else, you're hearing from someone that has that in their background.
2: That that is one one unique thing about me. I don't have a lot of. Uh, I don't feel like a. I feel kind of like a common guy, but that is kind of a, an unusual thing. At that's least for Evansville, fairly uncommon. Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> Even beyond Evansville, I don't yes. haven't run into a lot of t- former Tijika Sand residents. Right. You know, that's that's a good thing.
2: Right, and uh, we have three children. Um. Our oldest, uh, Michael, is twenty and is a uh, student at Purdue University. Right. Anna is a um, our daughter. Anna is seventeen and a senior in high school. And then our youngest, uh, Stephen, is uh, a seventh grader.
0: Awesome! Yeah, That's a lot of a lot of different uh, life places there for them. So you got one in college, one about to be done and one about to start high school. That's
1: right. That's right. And and besides the Tajikistan, you know, thing that you've got on your resume, Mm -hmm. uh, your current role is describe that.
2: Yes. I serve as the counseling pastor and oversee the Crossroads Counseling Center here locally that serves, uh, the entire tri-state. Um, it's not just a counseling center for Crossroads members. It's for anyone, um, that uh, is willing to either drive (laughs) to be with us in person or we can certainly do uh, video or call uh, telecounseling sessions as well. We've been doing that a lot, of course, over the the course of the last year. And that's why we got in touch with Paul because that is a role that he
1: and he's got obviously a background in this. And uh, that's one of the things we want to do in the Restore series. Uh, not only on Sundays, but during the week, just provide resources. And he is a resource because he deals with people, uh, you know, in, in some of the crisis of their lives and the challenges of their lives in that counseling role and, not only, and 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 has that pastoral background with a lot of experience there. So that's why he's here. And we're just going to tap his wisdom and his experience.
0: Yeah. I Actually, I'm going to start off with a question I didn't give you. So okay. Sorry. That's <laughs> all right. Well, that's that's good. good. But it just it clicked with me as you were talking about, you know, the Crossroads Counseling Center. Um, I think – even for me growing up, like thinking of um, a counseling center connected to a church was not something that we just talked about much or felt like there were always these things like you didn't talk about it. Why is that important to have now?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. And I think even different generations view counseling through a different lens. I think boomers, maybe even some generation Xers will tend to be a little bit more private when it comes to mm-hmm. uh, counseling, seeking Uh, advice or guidance from a counselor or therapist, whereas millennials in Generation Z are are much more open about it. Um, some even kind of almost carry it as a badge of honor that they're, that they're getting. So it's really the, the stigma of seeking counseling is, has changed. I think it's particularly important for churches to be engaged in the, the sphere of emotional health and mental health, because ultimately I believe that, um, while there's a lot of very helpful, things out there um, under the umbrella of psychology or the secular um, approach to this, um, there are some things that are unique to um, the Christian perspective that that are deeply healing and really provide the meaning, significance, and answers that people are ultimately after.
1: Now, as you say that, I, I would like, and that's this question wasn't on the list either. <laughs> so, okay. so as you say, like, what is you? I mean, it's like, I know on one hand, but I'd like to hear from your perspective what have you seen that is unique to the Christian perspective that is deeply
2: healing in
1: sort of that unique way that you're talking about?
2: Right. So uh, often a, a topic that, that people are coming in with uh, in, in one way, shape, or form is suffering and trying to find some sense out of suffering. It could be loss. could be loss in the form of anything from uh, you know, a career loss all the way to the loss of a loved one. Um, and there are the ways that people experience trauma and have experienced abuse, have experienced very, very difficult things in life, Um, I believe that the the unique part of what God gives us in a life in Christ, and, and as demonstrated through Jesus Christ, is he can provide meaning in the midst of our suffering, and the world can't do that. Yeah. They can they can prescribe some coping mechanisms. They can prescribe some medications to try to take the edge off. But um, a a godless worldview cannot assign meaning that transcends uh, the suffering that we experience. Yeah, yeah it makes me think. It, it was this kind of struck me more as I was doing our our first
1: installment of our Restore series was uh, this past Sunday, and and and. Reappreciating the fact that the God of the universe incarnate in Christ walking the earth gave himself the life that was uh, acquainted with grief and familiar with suffering and then died. All that that whole thing, and I've heard that pointed out from a number of different sources that when you think about it, when you really encounter the truly hard things of life, which everybody will go through one way or the other, Mm -hmm. that's remarkable that that's at the centerpiece of who he is, not just kind of a nice little... Uh, well, you'll go to heaven someday. It's not that. It's more uh, his very personality. He walked in that acquaintance with suffering. So that uh, thank you for sharing that. And then already it's one of those things that we, we do need to remember about this whole thing of being restored. Yeah. Hmm.
0: Uh, and when we talk about, we think about just generally restorative practices, um, what comes to mind or things that come to mind for you?
2: Mm-hmm. So the first thing that comes to mind is God's prescribed way of being replenished or renewed and, or restored. And that is through the practice of Sabbath. You know, this is, this was important enough for God to demonstrate it and practice it himself on the seventh day. We see in the scriptures that he himself rested, not that he needed to, but he, he, he demonstrates that for us. And we see that also uh, mentioned as one of the commandments. And I think in our, in our busy, hectic schedules in the year 2021, The question then is, what does Sabbath look like? Mm -hmm. Uh, What does Sabbath, what does a a restorative process look like for us? And there's some excellent uh, work that's been written on this. Uh, One of the the resources I would recommend is Peter Scazzaro's uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, where he talks about Sabbath and he talks about four pieces to it. Uh, The first he says is stop. So just, it's, it's about a cessation of activity. Uh, to to just really pause and st- which is hard for us. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard for us to put our phones down. It's hard for us to um, to uh, <laughs> detach from our devices. It's hard for us to stop our flurry of activities. I think 2020 has yeah. helped with that a little bit. but so that's the first step is just to stop our normal routine. Mm-hmm. The second thing is to uh, to rest. so he prescribes for us to to rest to to pull back. Um, maybe that looks like just laying down and taking a nap. There's nothing unspiritual about that. Um, the third thing is delight to find something that uh, delights and gives you pleasure. Um, uh, Eric Little, the runner, talked about when I run, I feel God's pleasure. And just to find what is it? Is it is it a putting on a head, pa- pair of good quality headphones and listening to a symphony? But something that just delights us in what God has created. And then the fourth one is to contemplate, to think about uh, the things of God, to give God space to to talk to us and to listen to Him. So those are four pieces of Sabbath. Uh, as far as like a rhythm of it, I think uh, it's good to have something that's like a daily, uh, a daily practice. So that might be something as as brief as you know, even if it's five minutes, it's good just to have something, some time with God. Five. 15, 30 minutes, whatever you can can give. So there's the daily practice of, of Sabbath or what we would maybe call quiet time. There's weekly, um, which is, you know, that one day out of out of seven to take some time away from our typical schedules. I think it's great if we can even incorporate something monthly, um, maybe a, a day of retreat or a, a just to, to quiet our, and I know that that can be challenging in the in the midst of the many demands of life, and then annually as well to do something. We think of that as a vacation, but you you know, incorporating some piece of that, uh, you know, week away or a couple weeks away, that is is distinctly uh, for the purpose of restoring the soul, um, and not just like going and seeing as many you know attractions as possible, right. but uh, restoring the soul. Yeah, yeah I was curious the about that
1: that how do you how do you separate the idea of vacation from Sabbath, you know, because nearly everybody goes on vacation, at least in our culture, and it's pretty common. I'm gonna take the kids to Disney World, that sort of thing. That's probably not what you're talking about. Yeah. Especially I've been to Disney World, and it's not restful. You did not feed, feed your soul, Brett. I, I didn't. <laughs> I walked away going, okay, I need a vacation from that vacation. Right, kind of because
2: because your pocket, your wallet was completely empty, too. It, it absolutely was, yeah. That's they're, right.
1: My sanity was gone. There were a lot of things
2: that uh They're very good at that, it. yeah. So for me personally, I, I love to um, go to, and I've taken my family to, uh, a variety of our nation's national parks. There's just something... About them that feeds my soul. Being outside, I know that's not for everybody. Um, John Muir, the naturalist, um, described our natural parks as some of God's most beautiful outdoor cathedrals, yeah. and I thought that was a, an apt description because I feel that way. I feel like right. God meets me when I'm when I'm outside in nature, and I think that has a different feeling to it than than maybe um, an amusement park does. But I think the elements of of uh of it are just to to build to carve some time in it it doesn't have to be you know let there be let a family vacation be fun but if possible to uh preserve some time um on that on that vacation for the purpose of uh intentionally reconnecting with god um and and letting him speak to your soul yeah um you know
0: yeah, I was yeah, I had a thought there. I just lost it, but I have another question. Um, so this past week uh, in our service, we we took an intentional time to talk about lamenting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I heard a few people even. I said this. I'd never heard that term before. I hadn't really thought of it in that way. Um, and we took an intentional time to ask people to write their own out. When we do that, what does that do for us? What does it do for our bodies? For our even our souls in the moments of um. Like when we think of grieving and healing and, and taking a moment to restore, mm-hmm. what is lamenting? What does that process look like and how does it help?
2: Yeah. Well, first I really want to commend you all to make this a season of of restoration. I think that's just very admirable and and uh it's it's the right the right thing to give some focus to. When I think of lament, I think of um think of Jeremiah in the scriptures. I think of the book of lamentations, which is a collection of, of laments. And it, you know the purpose of lamenting. I think fundamentally is to to acknowledge and grieve that things aren't the way they're supposed to be, and I think we feel this. Yeah. Um, I'll read uh, Romans eight twenty two. It says, "We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time." So there's this, this sense that creation, that humankind, that something's not right. Something's not the way that it, that it should be. Um, we feel that when we, when we experience or see injustice, um, when God's justice is not being you know meted out the way that, that we would like to see when people are being, um, you know, discriminated against or wounded or hurt in some way. So I think it's good to lament, um, that there's and it's an acknowledgement that there's this gap still between uh heaven and earth we're to pray lord your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and i think lamenting is just acknowledging in heaven there's no cancer but there still is on earth
0: hmm.
2: in heaven there's no child abuse but there still is that on earth in heaven there's not and you can go on and on but and i think a lament is just acknowledging we live in this this place that is yes the kingdom is here but it's not yet fully here, and it's good to express that. Um, it's good to get it out, um, and we're not we're not blaming necessarily um, God or people or anyone. We're just just it's just an acknowledgement that this isn't how it should be, and it's good for the soul. <laughs>
1: yeah it's uh, I think it's yeah you know, it's rooted in the truth of acknowledging instead of and, and and I'm not a professional counselor, but my understanding is is that if you if you kind of keep stuffing down the the negatives that you observe and and just cover them over however and use your coping mechanisms or whatever over time, that causes you to blow a gasket somewhere doesn't it yeah if you if you keep just kind of seeing these negative things whether it's child abuse or your own experiences of negative things and you don't acknowledge it or do something about it
2: you something bad will happen right right most of us don't learn how to appropriately express emotion and the one that usually emerges sooner or later is anger and so uh, I do describe it as it's like somebody pulling the the pin on a hand grenade that grenade goes off shrapnel goes into everybody around us um and then whatever was was being stirred in the interior of that person's life will eventually come out so it's going to leak out one way or another sometimes it can be a slow leak through somebody who just kind of has a um, a a caustic and even a toxic way of dealing with other people sometimes it can come out in in an explosive angry moment but uh, those, those feelings uh, do come out, and they need to be expressed. But lamenting, I think, is is a biblical and God-given way of doing that.
1: Yeah, so you're doing it towards him, and that kind of puts it in perspective a little better than just doing it towards your kid or the person that happens to be sitting in front of you or that kind of thing. Right. And I think in, in,
2: in a practical way, uh, one of the practices I've learned to do that is journaling. I know that... Um, that may not be everybody. Some people may want to just go outside and, and, and just look at the sky and, and and cry out to God. That's fine. But uh, journaling has been a way for me. There's something therapeutic about getting the thoughts in my head and the feelings in my heart out through the tip of a pen hmm. that has been very uh, good over the years. I'm
0: sure there's something even psychologically that like just actually putting your hand down and writing on paper um, is a release as well. I mean, there's something that uses a different part of your brain even to use... I'm to that stuff out,
1: right? Is that something you typically find yourself coaching people to do? I just do in your practice. Yes, and all yeah. That?
2: I, I encourage people to journal. I encourage them, um, even like if we're talking about uh, even interpersonal things. I encourage them to use a little tool called the feeling formula, so that feelings don't stay stuffed in. Which the feeling formula is real simple. Has three parts. I feel. Just say what you feel um, about. What's the subject matter? And then because I think, because our feelings can start to shape our beliefs in the way that we think. Yeah. So um, that's another helpful tool just to to get emotions from the heart out of the mouth in a healthy way.
0: Can you give an example of one of those?
2: Sure. So, um, uh, and by the way, the feeling formula is designed to, to use the word I and not you because when we say you, it usually comes out in an an accusatory way. Mm -hmm. And so the feeling formula might say, you know, I feel uh, annoyed about doing the dishes because I believe there will just be more to do later. So that's a kind of a a simple example. But uh, if you wanted to give maybe an example between a husband and a wife, you know, I feel confused about the comment that was made in the kitchen because I believe I've done something wrong. And, you know, and then that gives a person the opportunity to say, no, I don't think you've done anything wrong, or at least to clarify, but it's not an attack on the other person, which, you know, when we, um, well, when we're lamenting about some, yeah. about a, a matter with a, a loved one, it can often be interpreted as, Um, kind of an attack on them. And that's what we want to try to avoid. So you're kind of, it's more about expressing what's going on inside of you than trying to project that on someone
1: else. You're doing this to me kind of thing. Exactly. Okay.
0: It's getting down to the root of the actual question you're trying to ask. Like, instead of just saying, you know, you did this, like, okay, what are you asking? You know, what is the thing that you're feeling? And if you can put it back on yourself, kind of take some of that even emotion away from it. That's right. Which is, seems good. Um, we think about 2020 and I feel like I just say 2020 and it has all of these feelings and emotions behind it because it's a number. Um, but that year has created isolation, um, disconnection for people. And we're even seeing some of that going into 2021. I, I even to the point where like I was talking with some friends, um, I think it was last week and we were talking about watching shows and you see people, all these people together, or like you see a, a video of an old um, NCAA game and all these people in this arena and you almost feel like this feels weird. We shouldn't mm-hmm. do that. Like, how are you seeing just, I don't know, people reacting and responding and, and change like um, with the way we've been isolated? Mm-hmm.
2: I think we are going to see not only in this year, but in probably several years to come, uh, how difficult it's going to be to calculate the cost yeah. of what this pandemic has meant to us socially and relationally, not even talking about, you know, the virus or, you know, physically, right. what it's the damage that it's done. But socially, um, it's been very difficult. I think I have a, you know, a special place in my heart for kids and and students that mm-hmm. have been trying to navigate this. I think that's been particularly difficult because um, it's placed them in, in places of isol- isolation and um, an absence of socialization. Uh, I believe that, um, and what we have seen are some upticks in things that, that are not healthy for our society. Uh, we've seen an uptick in pornography usage, um, among, because people are, um, isolated, you know, and with devices, it's, it's more anonymous and accessible than ever before, uh, to access, uh, pornography, which gives, it's a, it's a counterfeit, type of connection with another person we've seen an uptick in eating disorders as people are um, alone and private and you know maybe not getting uh some of the the socialization and uh, attention that they might need so there there's just a lot of fallout um from this um from the, the the distancing and not gathering um so we will continue to see Uh, what the 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 cost of that is i think in the months and years to come
1: as i'm grappling with the the isolation and i like to think although this has been one of the the hardest things for me with the whole pandemic thing is you always think right around the corner it's going to normalize and it hasn't and that corner has been a year long and it's just a big round track is Mm -hmm. all it is and so now i'm getting very untrusting about uh about is it hopeful now? seems like it kind of is, but nah, I kind of doubt it. I, I'm skeptical. So say this goes on and I think you hear these rumors like, oh, we're going to be wearing two masks next year and, and it will go through 2024 or whatever else. So if I'm in this place where I'm still being isolated, are there things that I can do to somehow fulfill that need without these counterfeits, without the, what do I do if, if I'm still in a reality that's socially cut off more than normal? What are things that I can do to kind of fill that space
2: that I know is
1: of human need?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think some of it is is the lack of human interaction. I think some of it too is just interruption of routine. We were designed to have some level of routine, some level of constancy. Right. so when we when we've interrupted that so abruptly um, with you know school routines and things like that, I think part of it is is the the struggle with, uh, we're kind of designed to have some structure in our life and, and that's been taken away. Uh, but as far as what we can do, you know, a lot of those gaps have been filled with things like Zoom, Zoom and, and other ways to still connect with loved ones, with people, with meetings. It's not the same. Um, it's certainly not the same. I don't feel like uh, in, in a counseling uh, situation, we do it and we're happy to do it. Uh, but it's not quite the same as being in in the same room with a person and I think um, more than ever, we have to be intentional about it. it. You know, people used to be maybe a little bit cavalier. Do I eh, do I go to small group um, right. this you know tonight or not? And now I think we just have to be very, hmm. um, you know, even a little bit more, you know, just disciplined, even militant about it. Just like this is good for my soul to be here. This is good for my soul yeah. to be um, in in worship in some way, shape, or form. And um, so. Being purposeful about where there are opportunities to right. not miss those. You know, uh, our former uh, pastor, Ken Edelman, used to say, you know, we're made poorer by the things that we miss. And so that yeah. would be kind of like, let's not miss opportunities to when there are those opportunities to gather together. Even
1: if it means Zoom meetings, uh, am I hearing you clearly? Okay. <laughs> Even if it means yes, <laughs> that's my negative takeaway because I don't like Zoom meetings. You like them? I do not. Oh, you do like not them. like no, them. No, I'm, okay. I'm a Zoom skeptic. And yeah. they're there. I can just I feel because I'm I'm in meetings all the time, but I feel that missing dimension, and I think I I get a bad attitude if I'm being honest about the missing dimension. But what I need to do is be intentional about hey, at least it's a dimension. I might have two dimensions here, and I'd rather have three. But I need to go ahead and embrace the fact that I'm getting two because it's better than zero. is kind of the, the what I hear you say in the yes. practical sense.
2: And I think even younger generations that are more used to it, mm-hmm. they're okay. feeling the fatigue from it as well. Um, it's it's not like they're thrilled about doing virtual right. uh, online learning <laughs> yeah. or virtual yeah. classroom. They would rather be in person. And um, so it's not even so much an age thing, but it's just there's something in our in our in our makeup as humans, that yeah. wants to be together.
0: Yeah, you talked about earlier. You know, even at, talk about Sabbath and, and rest. I think for some people, for myself, sometimes rest is being around people um, and being with people that I can just be myself with. You know, and 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 so not having that sometimes it's even hard to rest in isolation because mm-hmm. you're not able to really you know, there, you can only watch so many shows or, you know, um, take so many naps to where you feel like (laughs) I'm not resting anymore. I'm just trying to, to waste time. And that doesn't feel helpful um, in that sense.
2: one of the four continuums on, on the Myers-Briggs personality inventory is extroversion, introversion, Mm -hmm. and kind of the classic way to describe that is, you know, how, how do you get re-energized? What recharges your batteries? Introverts by and large get recharged by being alone. Although even some of them I think are, are fatigued from the isolation (laughs) whereas extroverts which make up you know the other 50 percent of the world get recharged by being around people and they're the ones that are that are really suffering a lot from right yeah from this yeah, yeah.
1: A, lot of, a lot of tension out there. Yep. So uh, uh, shifting gears just a little bit, um, what do you think when it comes to the whole thing of soul care? Because one of our goals uh, during the Restore series is not just to have a series, but it's to really equip people to go forward in life. Uh, so when life gets turbulent or isolated or other encounters come, they do remember a few things about uh, how to do soul care kind of things. What do you think are some of the misconceptions about it or the mistakes that people make when it comes to soul care is, is that fair to ask
2: yeah i think it's a it's a fair question i think kind of the first thing that comes to mind brett is, is just neglect i think we can be right. quick to just neglect our soul our emotions as something that needs to be cared for um, we can be conscientious about diet nutrition uh, exercise um, even intellectual pursuits reading um, but neglect this area of emotions. And we see throughout Scripture that biblical characters are emotional beings. Mm. David was very emotional. Jesus was emotional. In fact, it says that in the Scripture, moved with compassion, Jesus healed. Moved with compassion. Jesus you know, wept over Jerusalem, moved with compassion. And his, his emotion was what put his love into action. And so um, I think when we ignore um, or just neglect our emotional right. state, we're missing opportunities to put things that God has planted in us into action that can change the world and that can expand His kingdom. So um, that's kind of the probably the primary mistake I right. think we we can make is to is to just neglect it. Um, yeah, but the, the I
1: think a difficulty that people have and, and Christian people do is. It can feel self-centered hmm. because it will almost inevitably include – if I'm going to do this, it includes a no somewhere in there somewhere mm-hmm. because I can I can fill my time easily with a myriad of things. But at some point to do proper soul care, I'm going to have to say no to something that's valuable and good to do this over here and the soul care thing sounds like the more selfish mm-hmm. if I'm being honest. I mean, no, you're right. I don't think I'm the only one out there. Maybe I am. Uh, yep. Maybe I'm just hopelessly self-centered, but, yeah. uh, but I, I like to think that everybody's had that struggle. Like, uh, I've got to say no over here to get to this. How do you
2: navigate that
1: kind of conscience struggle
2: for, and for the listener that maybe is wired that way, uh, would, would either feel guilty about it. I would say consider, giving a no to something so that you can give a better yes to something else. Because those, uh, well, I'll just say Christian leaders in particular who drive, 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 and we tend to equate busyness with importance. And But I think that we've seen um, a lot of of burnout um, and, and even moral failure on behalf of uh, christian leaders who thought that they could just push forward push forward push forward ignore don't want to take the time out that seems selfish that seems and and the and the tendency has has there's been a lot of wreckage as a result of it and so by saying by saying no to maybe some of the the things that um you know feel right they feel like they're Honorable things to do, and they're not necessarily bad because we can. You're right; we can fill our times and our schedules with anything. But if we say no to a couple of those things, so that we can say yes to replenishment and renewal with God, then our then then we've we've got a long term perspective on this thing because this is a marathon. This this isn't a sprint, and um, we want to we want to finish well. And you and I have been around long enough; we've seen a lot of uh, leaders start well. But it's a different thing to finish well. Absolutely.
0: It feels like a whole nother episode. We could talk about those things. You know I mean, <laughs> That's right. uh, yeah. I was thinking somebody um, on our, our online, one of our online platforms, we have a Facebook group where anyone can jump in and just have conversations, something we've added this year for the, that particular reason to create community and connection. And this week she asked kind of a similar question of like, how do I know when to set a boundary and when to like, kind of like die to myself and be out there and help somebody. Um, And I think that's such a great question that people are even trying to ask as Christians, because we're trying to figure out, especially right now, how do I know when to, um, to take that break, to, to, to have the better yes. And how do I know what that is? Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know if there's a a good answer all the time. I mean, I think that's what we're trying to do even doing the series.
2: I think God has given us some signals, you know, if you've got a problem with your your car engine, it sends you a signal, right? Right. It says check engine or or low oil, and uh, we've got one of two things we can do. Yeah. We can we can pop the hood, cut the wire that sends the signal, and go there. I don't have to look at that anymore. Which is some, sometimes how we handle our emotions, <laughs> right? <laughs> or we can take it into the shop and and get it fixed so that it actually can can run run longer. And so I think. Um, it's a great question, Sarah, and I think God has given us signals. Like our body sends us signals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we can feel frazzled. We can get sick. We can start to experience pain in our bodies. I think stress takes up residence in certain parts of our bodies, and we all know this. Like it's yeah. some people, it's their neck or their, it's their stomach or wherever it might be. So I think listening to the signals that our physical bodies send us about stress is one way. I think also just. Um, just overall, what's your what's your gut, what's your instinct? Are you starting to feel that agitation of spirit, that kind of overwhelm that comes when we say yes to to too many things? Then it's probably it's time to pull back. Hmm. And I think we all know that kind of intuitively, or we have to learn it sometimes the hard way. Um, but I think just being reminded that that um, that God is not ever um, going to have us prioritize productivity at the cost of uh, our souls and so um, you know Jesus says what what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul and he's talking primarily about getting the world in a in a material matter money matter but it we can also you know what what does it profit a whole man if he gets all of the accolades and all the praises and is 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 um, highly spoken of but he's internally crumbling, and we want to we want to avoid that.
0: When
1: it comes to that, and some of this may be a repeat, but I think it would it'd be fine to do that in light of the question. So, as you've you know been on the mission field, which by the way is extraordinarily stressful. I do know that much about it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, being in a different culture it has its own package of uh, stress than also in the pastoral world and just the different ministry serving that you uh, kinds of ministry serving you've done and your counseling. What is is the one thing you kind of wish everybody knew that as you kind of collect up all that and you mm-hmm. could say, I've got a crowd of people here, I want you to know this about the soul care issue.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to share one that um, is more horizontal in nature because it's about our relationships with one another rather than vertical. The Sabbath I think is a, is about a vertical relationship, spending time mm-hmm. with God. Um, but probably the the one thing. If I, you know, if you if you said, "Hey, I'm going to take away all your tools. You only get to keep one." The the one thing that I would do is is walk people through uh, the systematic process of forgiving. Hmm. I think unforgiveness is a poison that um, has infected all of us. It has infected churches. It infects workplaces. Um. Uh, everyone that's listening to this podcast can think of someone that has hurt them or that has offended them, um, and is probably struggling to forgive them. And, uh, but I do believe that that it is the centerpiece of the Christian faith. The cross is a representation of the forgiveness of God toward us. And uh, if I had a magic wand and <laughs> could right. make the world a place of quick, rapid forgiveness. Um, I would use it, but the reality is that uh, trauma, uh, abuse, offense, hurt, infidelity—all the things that you know people come to counseling for—it's um, it's hard to forgive these things. And so, but I've seen people experience such incredible freedom in Christ uh, as we walk them through that process, so that they can no longer be have experienced this incarceration of soul and bitterness and anger. You know, I tell married couples, I say, you know, picture yourself driving down the interstate and you guys are in the car and you're looking out the, the the windshield and you want a brighter future. You want a good destination that you're headed to. But the problem is, as you glance in the rear view mirror, you notice that there's a trailer attached to the back of your car and stacked on that trailer are the past wounds and Anger and resentment and unforgiveness. So I want us to go forward into a brighter future, but we're going to have to detach this trailer first. Are you willing to do that? Do you want to go there? And they're almost always like, yes, we do. But it. Um, so I, I really believe in the power of forgiveness, the power, um, and it's something that as Christians, we're subject matter familiar with, But most of us have not been taught how do you forgive someone from the heart, as Jesus talks about in Matthew eighteen.
1: Right, and I and I'm I don't think I'm alone when I think that is a surprise answer in a way. Um, I think of all the subjects, of all the things you could give off, that would be it. Uh, So that probably does uh, warrant. You coming back and talking about that? Sure, because but, but the how to actually no, the backstory is we did have uh, Paul sit with our staff uh, today at the recording and um, earlier, and he walked us through kind of a model of how you can actually do that because I think that is the the real challenge is how do you do that because I think it was C.S. Lewis said everybody loves the idea of forgiveness until you have to something to forgive mm-hmm. uh, because when you really have something to forgive, in other words, a real actual offense. It's a whole different thing, and it becomes difficult at that point. And uh, but Paul did a great job of kind of walking us through a way to even get to that difficult thing. So maybe we can bribe him into coming back and talking about that. But that's a whole new subject, but worth worth exploring for sure. Sure,
2: I'd love to do that. Love to talk about it. It's uh, it's one of my favorite uh, topics to uh, to discuss. And I think I probably am not very good at it because that's why the Lord makes me keep teaching and talking about it. So I have to <laughs> remind myself to be a good forgiver. Yeah. Um, and I think personality plays a part in that too. Sure. Uh, for example, I don't know if you guys are, or maybe if the listeners are familiar with uh, the Enneagram. And mm-hmm. on the Enneagram, I'm a one, which is the the perfectionist or the reformer. Ones have a pretty defined idea of how the world should be, you know? and uh ones are the the ones you want um as your as your surgeon um or as your pilot on the plane you don't want them going you know what i was thinking about some new ways to land a plane um, right you know and we're <laughs> going to try one today enjoy your soda and peanuts you know <laughs> we want the, the no. pilot going i there's a right way to do this <laughs> yeah and he's going to stick with the <laughs> and plan, he's going to stick with the plan and i think so for for ones uh who have a defined idea of how the world should be and it doesn't go that way it can be kind of difficult to forgive and and there's other things that play a part in our personality or in, in our in our past that can make it hard to forgive um yeah. nobody that i've ever met is a as a natural um uh, born forgiver we have it's something we have to learn which is why jesus right. teaches on it yeah. and um so yeah i'd love to
1: Yeah, because it does, it raises a whole host of questions that we all struggle with. Again, if you feel like you have an actual offense versus, you know, there's the slights and the, you know, you cut in front of me in line sort of things. But when you get into real hurts and like you said, the trauma or Mm -hmm. or just real relational breaks that they only come because of complex issues and that can raise a lot of things in people's minds and, and hearts.
2: Yeah, there are wounds that are so paralyzing, so debilitating that, um, it's it's almost impossible for a person to get the loop tape of the replay out of their minds. Yeah, and it just feels every day feels like Groundhog Day. They're just <laughs> reliving the the pain of them or the memory, and, and and if they're not careful, they can even start to turn a corner toward um, toward revenge and yeah. toward anger, and that's where we get you know acts of violence. And so, um, be, being a good forgiver, um, I, I they say. When you don't forgive, it's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Yeah. And I say, when you forgive, it's like you take a key to another person's uh, prison cell and you open it and set and, and set them free. So, and you become free in the process as well.
0: Yeah. That's a great visual. I have so many questions I want to ask right now. <laughs> um, but I would, I would love to, you know, maybe even soon, because I know there's an exercise and and kind of a, you wrote it almost like a formula that I'd love to share, um, not just with our church, but just with the community of people to think of that way and, and thinking about forgiveness and reconciliation. Um, because I think what I'm even processing right now, when I think about forgiveness, sometimes when you think about specific instances, it feels like forgiveness means you have to understand why it happened, and mm-hmm. I don't think you always do, um, because sometimes we don't, and it's not ours. Right. I can't, I can't understand things for people, but forgiveness is modeled, like you said, as Jesus, and forgiveness is offered, but understanding is hard.
2: Yeah, and you know, I'm really glad you mentioned that because, um, and again, we can do another whole whole podcast on forgiveness, but it's important to to describe. Real quickly, what forgiveness is and what it isn't, because mm-hmm. I think sometimes people think, well, does that mean you just kind of brush it under the rug and move on, and you kind of forgive and forget? Kind of the, the right. conventional wisdom, you know. And forgiveness does not is not ignoring uh, the pain and devastation. It's not necessarily reconciling with the offender. It's definitely not always once and done. I think that's Jesus tells us forgive seventy times seven. Sometimes we have to forgive that same incident because it hmm. keeps coming back in our minds. So there are things that forgiveness isn't um, and it's not necessarily trusting that person again. Forgiveness does not mean we trust. Forgiveness is about the past, about we forgive things that have happened, not things that are going to happen. Trust is about the future. Mm. And so trust is a different commodity. Um, But forgiveness is, you know, releasing that person to God's judgment because God's a better judge than we are. Um, It is, um, you know, kind of, releasing uh, ourselves from taking that role and uh, it's also releasing ourselves from the pain and the bondage of the past and it's something that we return to often because hurts happen often in life so we have to return to it often.
0: It's good.
2: It is good. You got your money's worth right there everybody. (laughs) Hope
1: you felt that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have one more question on here and I think we answered it but I I do want to ask it because I feel like people have asked this especially in church when we think of um, soul care and and improving those things why is the answer not just pray more because mm-hmm. I think people they'll come into church like well that's just what they're going to tell me just pray more Um, and there are actual practices and we've listed some of them here and I'm sure there's so many more and these don't some of those won't Um, they may not be the best fit for every person but they are a good place probably to start and some people may have other ones that work for them better but why is that not the answer
2: Um, I think that prayer is always good yeah and so I'll, I'll say <laughs> that, Yeah. Uh, however, I, I would say God has designed us as these complex, interdisciplinary beings. So we are spiritual, and we are intellectual. We are physical. We're physiological. And so um, there's there's a variety of ways that that soul care can happen besides just prayer. And so you know, while prayer is certainly uh, always good, it's important. Uh, there are other ways that we need to be open for how God wants to minister to us and Jesus did this when we see him ministering to people and caring for them sometimes it was just listening yeah sometimes it was uh, touching a coffin and raising the dead you yeah. know he he crashed every funeral he went to um, sometimes it was um you know it was it was making uh spitting in the dirt and making mud and putting on a man's eyes and, and giving him his sight back so there's there's a variety of ways that we should be open to how god wants to minister to us as well i think listening to him in prayer and talking to him in prayer is good uh but it's not necessarily the 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 sole answer and it does take more energy on our part as believers to walk the road with someone than to just say well just go to your prayer closet That can be a cop out if we're not careful. Yeah. Rather than saying, you know what, you're burning, you're bearing a burden. Can I bear that burden with you? Can I, can I walk this road with you? And so I think that might be another reason why we can tend to say, you know, just, just pray. Um, I'll give maybe a little bit of, if I could, just briefly a a, um, kind of a an analogy. You know, when when. A man will come for counseling because he's got uh, use or uh, an addiction to pornography. We we tend to think that that's a matter of of lust management. He's got a problem with with lust, and there's a piece of that that's true. But as you peel back the layers of that onion, there's a lot more going on. There can be um, there can be not always, but uh, there can be a pattern of uh, abuse in his past. There could be um, just his unconscious arousal map that he doesn't even know where it came from. Uh, there can be feelings of futility, lack of purpose that drive that. There can be lack of connection and relationship. So if we just say, um, that's dirty, don't do it, it doesn't solve the problem because God has made him a more complex being than just a steward of lust. And I think in the same thing is true with prayer. God has made us a more complex being than just a steward of, of prayer. And that's why soul care has to be more comprehensive. <laughs>
1: Yeah. As you, as you look at even how God outlines prayer itself, it's more complex than we sometimes make it. Cause we translate prayer into, I'm going to ask God a bunch of things and I'm going to talk to him. I am just going to unload. But when you look at the Psalms, laments are a good example. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a, there's an element to it that that's prayer, but it's a certainly a different kind of prayer than most people even think of or, or even uh, practice. Um, uh, and, and not to mention thanks and everything else that goes in there. And I love what you said about, you know, people, I, I, My observation through the years is I believe that God's favorite way of answering prayers is through people. It's through his body. That's how he acts. And so you'll see most of your answered prayers come in the the form of conversations that you have with people or others bearing your burdens, things Mm -hmm. of that nature. And uh, so we all need to be open to that as we kind of walk through. Because a lot of times my healing can come through helping you heal with a problem that you have because it gets my eyes off my own Mm -hmm. issues and things like that.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I mean, um, anything else that you would add that we didn't get to? Um, or I know we asked quite a few questions. So. No,
2: those are great questions. And uh, it was just a pleasure uh, being with you all today. And just want to encourage your listeners to, um, if they haven't yet, to begin the practice of soul care. And maybe I'll just leave with this, uh, this image. Um, we're often told when we fly on a plane, Um, put on your oxygen mask first, then try to help others around you. And that's what good soul care is. It's putting on your oxygen mask first so that you can then be, be used by God in a way that can be a blessing to many others. Excellent. That's
0: great. Brett, anything to close with?
1: Well, I, I just want to encourage people as we talk about this and as we go through the series to think of it as process and uh, be listening. And we're, we're putting out resources out there because it's not, again, it's not just about Sunday morning messages. It's about the podcast. We've got other books that we're recommending and uh, counseling services that we would point people towards. But do whatever it takes to uh, just allow God to restore your soul and just use this season while other people are doing it to make it the conversation.
0: Yep. Uh, Speaking of those resources, um, Pete Scazzaro's book, as well as some other podcasts, uh, we have on a resource page, onelifechurch.org slash restore. Um, and some information and even some information on how to contact the Crossroads Counseling Center. Um, yeah, we just want to create a space. If you have another resource that's been really great for you, we'd love to add it um, and or at least take a look at it and see if it should be added. Uh, I guess we should take a look at those. Um, and, and, but hear why that's been helpful for you. Email us at podcast at onelifechurch.org. And again, um, if there's been anything in this that's really just been um, helpful for you and maybe something you want to share with other people, uh, leave us a comment. Let us know and share it out with some other people. We'd love to continue just creating spaces to create to help soul care happen for more and more people. So thank you guys so much for joining us and we will see you uh, next time.